everyone in recruiting talks about uh, culture fit and not enough is talked about defining what do you really mean by culture fit. Culture fit in my terms is a group of people who create tension because innovation, the best problem solving comes from a lot of tension and there is a very fine line between what we call these days tension and toxic culture versus are compatible with the group. Compatible with the group means everybody's nice, no one creates tension and we get average. That was just a quick snippet of the conversation that I was lucky enough to have with Jonathan Ling. He's an exceptionally experienced and and qualified uh, person to be talking about talent, having previously been the managing director and CEO of GED Holdings, a listed company in Australia, um, driving great share market performance when he was in that role. He has also been the managing director and CEO of Fletcher Building Group. He talks a little bit about that in this podcast and some of the challenges that they were able to overcome in that role. I knew him through um, through friends and personal connections and, and actually helped him uh, made the introduction uh, that he did obviously all of the work um, to get one of the chairmanships that he has a chairmanship role in Planet Innovation, which was the, the business that I was working in as an internal recruiter most recently. He's also a director at Ironman 4x4. You will have seen the, uh, the Hulk looking figure on the Ironman logos. He was previously the chair of the Melbourne Rebels, the rugby club, as well as board roles in a number of other companies. In this episode, I hope that you can learn uh, from somebody that I've learned a lot from about what it takes to build great teams, what it takes to lead really successful businesses, and how to juggle that tension that drives high performance in teams. If this is your first episode listening, that's really what this whole podcast is going to be about hiring and building high-performing teams, what high performers look like, how to hire great people, different approaches to hiring and building teams. It's what I built my career about, it's why I founded Rosewood Partners, and it's why I hope you've tuned in because those are things that you care about too. Thanks for giving us a try and enjoy the show. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, John. I know that you've worked in a lot of great teams before and you've hired a lot of great teams and i mean being a leader for such a long period of time gives you the um the credibility to be able to talk about all these things um just with a different light than a lot of people can um one of the things that actually really interests me and i've heard you talk about this concept a couple of times is the idea of wow stories um maybe that's a good place to start would you be able to sort of give um people an, an overview of what a wow story is and why why that's important I think the fundamental of a wow story is someone that will stand out. And uh, whether you are the candidate and you want to stand out or you are uh, trying to find talent, uh, you're always looking for people that want to stand out. And those wow stories can either be big things or small things. So if I start off with the small things, you know, sometimes you're in a meeting and someone says something and you go, wow, that's obvious, but no one thought of it. And... That's a great example of someone standing out in an interview or in a meeting or just in a conversation. And then there are the really big things. You hear someone's story and what they've achieved or what the team they're in achieved, and you go, wow, that's amazing. Um, And if I used an example at the bigger end end of it was, uh, again, I was at uh, Fletcher Building and uh, a team of people uh, managed to write a contract with the New Zealand government to repair every single house in Christchurch after the Christchurch earthquake. That was a contract and it was on a cost plus basis that ended up being in excess of $10 billion. Yeah. Um, and the team that did that, uh, the work they did was just simply astounding. On top of that, from the time they actually wrote the contract, they built a business with a billion dollars in revenue in one year. And so by the, by the time we got to the end of the first 12 months, uh, they were generating over $100 million of revenue a month. Um, and again, to execute on that was just simply outstanding. And there's been lots of those sorts of stories that I could go on and on. But there, in terms of wow stories, are at both ends of the spectrum. Small things that make you stand out in a crowd, 
because of something you've said, might only be a few words or a sentence, through to coming up with uh, projects or businesses um, that everyone just goes, wow. Yeah, I, I think it's really, I mean, obviously from a recruitment standpoint, this is one of the things that we're obviously looking for in a lot of candidates. And it's something that I actually find people probably don't spend enough time thinking about for themselves, like what are mine? Um, so you often sort of think about your career as like this set of roles on a piece of paper because um, that's, you know, people write a CV or they have a LinkedIn profile and that's how they visualize it as well. So when you ask them about what they've done, they talk about it like it was that, like it's just a written down list of, uh, list of job titles rather than um, some amazing achievements. And what you're actually wanting to understand and you're trying to probe for is, what are the what is the reason we would hire you and that is those wow stories and i think there's two dimensions to it and i think to have the wow stories and to create them for yourself is also understanding the difference between management and leadership and in my humble definition um, and it has no scientific rigor to it whatsoever (laughs) uh, management to me is like project management i know the outcome i want and I manage linearly, more or less, uh, through various stages to deliver on that outcome. And all managers have to be good at that sort of management, project management, so that's a precursor. But leadership's actually a completely different thing. I always define leadership as when a group of people or a team of people achieve way beyond what they thought was possible. And in a way, it's a dichotomy to the project management because project managing to an outcome almost predetermines that you won't do much better. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes opportunities are not seen and better ways are not seen along the way because we're so focused on that linear path. And finding the balance between the two is never easy. But to me, the wow stories inevitably come from that leadership achieving way beyond what others thought were possible. Yeah. Um, and so if you go back to the example on Fletcher Building and the Christchurch earthquake, if I'd said to anybody in the country straight after the Christchurch earthquake, in a few weeks' time, we're going to write a contract uh, for over $10 billion to um, have an exclusive contract to repair every house in Christchurch on a cost-plus basis, they thought I was an idiot. Yeah. So, um, so, so is a lot of judgment in deciding and having to feel what projects do I need to do to just need to be managed to deliver the outcome versus where's the potential for doing way better, doing things way beyond. And that's what, again, creates a wow story because more often than not, if I just talking about outcomes from project management um, and say I delivered on that project, most people would say, oh, well, that's not, an, that's not a wow story. Everybody does that. We do that every, every day of the week, yeah, delivering exactly. on our projects, delivering on our outcomes. What's wow about that? Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, 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 you can oversimplify it, but it's a complex world. But it's the people that can do things and say things that others don't yep. that makes them stand out. Yeah, the do things and say things that others don't. Um, I mean, I know that that's... It's something that we, you know, I think actually maybe even as like Australians, um, but we actually find it hard to to go out on a limb and say, I did this thing or achieved this thing or say what won't be said. And um, I actually think that's something that, again, you're always looking for in an interview and you're not asking the person to come up with a fake perspective or make up a story or, or take an opinion just for opinion's sake, but you actually want to understand that person's perspective, not the politically acceptable response to that question. And I think part of it, you know, if you're talking in recruiting circles now, and I've read a lot of CVs in my in my career, and you read CVs that talk about I improved revenue by 3.1% um, over four years, and I improved uh, EBITDA by 1.3% year on year, and you go. Mm. And there are two dimensions to that which uh, I think are very unremarkable. Uh, the first is it's all about I. Yep. And the second part about it is all incrementalism. Um, and if you are in incremental mode, you're not going to create wow stories. Yep. Um, and 
so, so I think it's all about telling the story. And I think often when you say Australians, we're not good talking about ourselves. It's not that, is we've lost the ability to tell the story. Yeah. Um, and the stories inevitably mean the great stories are always about a we of some form or another. Yeah. Um, they're always uh, about the identification of an opportunity that is way beyond self. Yep. And they're always about leadership and a harnessing of people both above and below and at peer level to actually have a crack at it. And most people, most, most organisations, I think, as I say, if, and I talk about the Fletcher example of winning a contract to repair every house in Christchurch. Yeah. Most organisations say, oh, you're dreaming. Yeah. Um, and so it, it needs to be able to tell the story uh, sufficiently, even as it's, being, as it's forming, to actually sell it and, and have a board and senior management say, okay, have a crack. Yeah. Um, uh, because it's not easy, because you can't, can't do a lot of these things without the endorsement of your boss or your senior management or a board or something. Yeah, I, like I think the we um, component of what you're saying there as well is this is also something that sometimes gets forced out of the standard recruitment and interview processes that we have is that as a recruiter, even as a HR manager, like people that are involved in the, a lot of the screening and assessment of these people are actually trying to determine what impact this individual had. Um, so they are asking a lot of I questions and, and trying to dig through when people say we as to what did you actually do? When in reality, you're not usually putting together a massive collection of individuals and asking them to act in that way all individually. You're putting them together and asking them to act as a group and a team. And that's, as he said, where you achieve those great outcomes is together, not apart. Um, I don't know if you've had many experiences like that. I'm sure that you have had the opportunity to. When you're, when you're going to hire somebody, um, whether it's for maybe like refilling uh, someone's left and taking a new job and you have to go refill that person's role or, or reshape it, are you thinking about how will this individual fit within the team that I've built already? Or are you going, I want to find the person that I think individually would deliver this the best and we'll work out how to mesh this as a team? Uh, um Wow, that's a big, obviously a question from a recruiter. Yeah. That's a really tough question. But I think there are probably three dimensions uh, that I, I always look at. Uh, the first is uh, all recruitment and all team building is situational. Yeah. Um, depending on where the organisation is at a particular point in time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, very broadly, uh, I, I think you can build it into there's a turnaround stage, um, then there is a consolidation stage, then there is a growth stage, uh, and then invariably you end up at the turnaround again. That's the way a lot of organisations work. And you need different skill sets in a team to actually deliver on each of the stages. And interestingly, uh, the hardest thing of all for any leader is that someone, is a team that get you through one stage quite often are not the team that are best to get you through the next stage. Yeah. And to cast off and start again is really, really difficult to do. Um, to actually uh, change uh, people who have been very loyal and delivered like you wouldn't believe through one stage, but they don't have the skill sets for the next stage is really, is really, really tough. So that situational piece of where you are and where the organisation is, is really important. Yeah. The second thing I think is uh, everyone in recruiting talks about uh, culture fit and not enough is talked about defining what do you really mean by culture fit uh, because I think in the high-performing teams I've had, they uh, culture fit in my terms is a group of people who create tension yeah. uh, because innovation... The best problem solving comes from a lot of tension and there is a very fine line between what we call these days tension and toxic culture Yeah. Um, versus are compatible with the group. Compatible with the group means everybody's nice, no one creates tension and we get average. Yeah. Um, and so if you then sort of link that back into high performance, it's actually about creating tension and invariably 
in high-performing individuals are difficult people. Yeah. And so um, I've always leaned towards difficult people if they've got the skill sets that I actually want. Yeah. And, um, and, and so therefore, a skill in the leadership team has to be managing difficult people. Whereas I, I very rarely see that in, um, uh, if you like, uh, recruiting mandates these days. Yeah. Uh, are you good at managing really difficult people? Because we recognise to have a great team, you're going to have some really difficult people. Yeah. Because um, they'll bring out the best in everyone else. Um, and they'll push everybody outside their comfort zone. And so there's obviously got to be some codes of conduct and behavioural and respect and those sorts of things. Yep. But you need people to be able to push people out of their comfort zones to the point of making them emotional, making them angry. Because I'll argue your best work is done, your best thinking is done when your emotions are at an intense level. Yep. And if you talk about sport and all of those things, the best performance always comes from great passion, huge determination, and... Um, uh, being pushed to your limit. Yeah. But if you are in a compatible culture, you'll never get pushed to your limit. Yep. You'll do everything that's comfortable. So so then we're talking about situational, then we're talking about um, uh, the culture retention, yep. and then it's about the individual skill set. Yep. Um, and I've always headed towards, I've always looked at it in terms of talent versus form, and I've nearly, all, I've nearly always gone through talent. Yep. Because, or combination of talent and hunger yeah um so uh so when i go to an interview i i very rarely focus the questioning around a cv yeah i can read that yeah um and i can tell from that whether it's an incremental person or someone that's got a bit more courage yeah um but more important i'm even i've tended towards young rather than old and there's probably a bit of a bias in that although a bit situational and i look for things like just the ability to solve problems through thinking differently. Yeah. Others would use the word innovation. I try to steer out of that because everyone confuses that with invention sometimes and with research and development. But people that solve problems through out-of-the-box thinking by doing things that others never thought of yeah. um, and who have the ability to question an appreciative inquiry to actually do that. And I find myself hiring a lot of under 30-year-olds for various projects. but And I never talk about often the jobs they've done because often they're quite junior in organisations. But I'll talk about the way they run their lives, um, what they do when they buy something, what they do when they're a, a member of a sporting club or they're fundraising for a local charity or whatever. And what I'm looking for is the innovation, just the... Yeah finding the better ways of, of doing things, number one. Number two, those who just have a track record or just got that culture of making money and yep. delivering on the outcome. And then the third thing is I'll always ask questions around who's the most difficult person in your life? Sometimes it's a partner, sometimes it's a family member. And so how do you manage them? Yeah. And that's giving me a sense of going back to that notion earlier um, we get, and I love words and language around, we get the best out of each other because we're fighting all the time. Yeah. And we're not fighting necessarily on an emotional divorce separation level, yep. but we're arguing with each other to get the best out of each other. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I, I love it. There's obviously a lot of different things that were covered there. Um, uh, the, the word that I was taught um, probably eight years ago to represent one of the things you were talking about was constructive discontent which was building that in um finding ways to build discontent into the team so everyone is a little bit you know not frustrated but there's as you said that tension um but it's all constructive it's it's no destructive words you're not um verbally or physically abusing each other and it's not hateful in any way it's just that knowledge that tension is the way to bring out the best in um in each other i like also the way that you're able to use uh, questions where somebody hasn't had the experience just due to time um, like as in not everyone has had time in their careers to do different things but being able to say how do you deal with this in your life um, and, and seeing how people answer it because uh, it is a lot of a lot of what we're looking for as a as a recruiter as a manager you are looking for people to flesh this out themselves um, being able to say be asked a question how have you dealt with difficult people in the workplace 
And if you don't have an answer because you just have had a lovely team of all sweet people and being able to say, I, I haven't, is not really the answer we're actually looking for. It's what you're saying, which is how I haven't in that situation, but here is how I deal with it with X who I am involved with, with, with sport or as you said, with other areas of your life. And, and I think um, you, just, it's a segue into a new notion and that is the fundamental of all high performance starts with dissatisfaction. And dissatisfaction means there's got to be a better way to do this. It's a pursuit of being unhappy about where I am right now because there's got to be a better way. And if you're dissatisfied, your chances of innovating and performing above and beyond is extremely high. If you're comfortable where you are, then uh, the chances of you changing to actually do something differently or better is small. And so when I'm interviewing, I'm also looking for in, in personal traits, uh, an inherent pursuit of excellence and dissatisfaction where I'm at. And again, it doesn't have to be in your past work experience in a young person. It can be talking about sport, it can be talking about a hobby, it can be talking about, I wanna to get to a better level at something. Yep. Um, and uh, you find that uh, in amongst high-performing people, if they don't have that level of dissatisfaction or ambition, sometimes you might call it, then uh, the propensity to, to innovate and do things differently and high perform, or in other words, be better than everybody else, uh, is small. Yeah. And you probably find that a lot of people aren't even thinking in that way. Like as in the, and, and maybe I can ask it in this way, um, what's the, if you can only learn one thing from an interview, what's it gonna be? Um, and, and that may be it. It's, it's whether people have that drive to be different, better, things like that. Cause you do walk into a lot of interviews where you start speaking to somebody or a lot of conversations where you start speaking to somebody and you go, this person's fine. Yeah, they're fine. And, and and not not here to judge that they're not good enough or yep. that they are for something, but that yep. that's just how they are as a personality. Yeah, and I never see that on uh, recruitment specs. Uh, number one, hunger. Number yeah. two, dissatisfaction. Yeah. Uh, if you've got those two things, there are other things you still need. But if you don't have those two things, a second interview is not worth it. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I mean, we've sort of talked about a couple of different traits of, um, of high-performing people, um, hunger, um, that dissatisfaction, and the ability to fit within a team um, being more tension rather than culture fit. We, I think one of the words I've used before is culture add, which is going, what culture am I trying to create in this business? Will this person add to that? Because fit means, as you sort of said, it means fit with existing um, or rather than add to what I'm actually trying to build here. Um, are there any, this is a, an interesting question. I haven't really asked this one before. Are there any traits that you really like in other people that you work alongside? So colleagues that you don't value as much when you become a leader of them or like as in, or is there a trait where you lead people, you're always looking for it, but in your colleagues, you're not necessarily paying attention to it. I think what I talk about now, I'd move, if I can, move to a slightly different dimension to answer the question is actually looking at the mix of a team because you can't have if you've got a team of 10 you can't have 10 agitators yeah. <laughs> nothing happens so so it's actually looking at i think in a mix of a team in terms of what I, so say for example in a in a team of 10 people i don't really want more than two or three agitators yeah i need people that'll do stuff i need people that'll analyze i need uh, black hat people or so. and I think the other dimension is complementing yourself um, and if you look at public companies in particular invariably the success of that business or those companies is about the CEO CFO combination and not about an individual CEO invariably when you see a CEO is done really well the CFO is, is very good but very complementary yeah so if you've got two optimists uh, nothing ever gets done and they, you, you, you take unnecessary risk and possibly fail. Yep. If you've got two uh, consolidators or two execute, execution people that you're lacking in strategic intent. Yep. And so it's about finding the combinations to, again, going back to that leadership concept of creating amazing outcomes 
And I've always looked at uh, teams from a point of view, what does each individual bring? And is there a good balance and a good mix amongst those group of people? So are there, are there two or three agitators? Are there two or three people that are really good at managing difficult people so that they can actually have a fantastic argument but actually still keep everyone more or less together? Yeah. Um, are there a couple that are really good at executing? Are there one at least that can make a really good plan that everyone can understand? Uh, and it's that sort of thing. So it's about looking at what do I need, what do we need to actually uh, have in the team to actually do something amazing here? And do, do all those skills exist in the team, not necessarily individuals? Because not everyone can be good at everything. Yeah, and I think it's. Um, I was talking about this with somebody today, actually. Um, my my old boss, uh, Nikki Webb. Um, we were sort of talking about how, you know, you go and do a disc profile or one of those assessments that says you are like this when you're under stress and you are like this when you're when you're working in your comfort zone and um, you sort of go as part of doing your job you have to flex into all areas that's being a flexible person that can adjust and in circumstances is great but you can't be uh, I guess as you sort of said you're building a team you can't all have one personality style and all be flexing into the planning style because then nothing will ever be planned properly. Um, having different people who can be experts in different areas is how you can get the best out of that. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, every, every project will be different um, yeah. about turning up the dial, listening the dial on each of those attributes. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of that uh, leadership versus management skill. Leadership uh, or good leaders get to get to recognize what skills are really needed what levels of expertise what need what dials need to be turned up what dials need to be turned down uh, rather than the execution of things themselves yeah um, and that is an innate skill I, I think when you really talk about truly high performing teams is that they'll have leaders that are good at doing that and that is almost their sole responsibility not instructing people not keeping things on track um, but actually uh, challenging, uh, setting the vision, asking the what-ifs, but actually managing the resourcing of the project yep. to make sure that uh, those right uh, elements of a project at extreme levels are in place. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast was going, so many leaders will talk about the most important thing is their people you know hiring the right people that's the most important part of their job is getting that part right and even when you're trying to think about it in terms of the amount of time you spend on it in a year maybe you hire two people one person into an executive team um and it feels like a frustration an extra thing that you have to do that entire time even though you know deep down this is the one of the most important things that you'll do for this entire year i find that struggle really really interesting um Maybe one of the things I'll, I'll sort of switch up the order from some of the questions I was thinking is um, maybe how has your approach changed over time with hiring and appraising people? Because um, I think when you're thinking about an organization, when you usually when people start hiring people, they're hiring for a small team. They're learning how to manage. Um, I've heard you use this example before, but you're learning how to manage one person and then you're learning how to manage a small group of people but typically you've got individual contributors then, whereas as you move up through an organization, you're trying to find people to get the right mix amongst your leadership team, but then those people also have teams and those people have those people's teams have teams. So you've got to think about things in such a multi-dimensional way. Have things changed for you as you've sort of evolved as a leader? Uh, interestingly, I, they have dramatically. Um, and I would say it's the people decisions that you make uh, as a leader that really make or break you more than anything else. Uh, if you if you uh, make a wrong hire, uh, it sends you backwards by years in some instances. And so what I've learned along the way, and it's not always easy to achieve, is uh, it's very, very difficult to actually have high probability of success if you're trying to pick someone from the process of two or three interviews. Uh, even though there might be multiple interviewers and all sorts of things, it's just so hard. Some people interview well, some people don't. And so I've always found that the best success I've always had is by getting to know somebody first. If I can find a way 
uh, where I can uh, put them into a project management role or a consulting role or whatever, where we can actually work with them, then you get to know them and you get to know the capability. And when I've done that, I've invariably had 100% success. Now, it's not possible to do that all the time. Sometimes you've just got to do the interview traditional process and appoint somebody. But I think I will argue if I've done the traditional approach, uh, three interviews and appointing someone, uh, I always have a tendency for oversimplifying, but I reckon my chances of success are somewhere between 50-50 and 60-40. Yep. If I've had the chance to work with someone through a project for a few months or a year or something like that, and then I make an appointment, uh, I, I would say my odds go up to 95%. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've got lots of examples of, of doing that. So it's not always possible, but gee, it's hard picking people, really great people from just a few interviews. Yeah, and I think that you're um, probably part of the job of the recruiter in this case. If you're in, if you're in my shoes, or if you're an internal recruiter uh, and you're working with a search partner or doing the search yourself, is being able to supplement that learning experience. So I you can't get it for this role because we haven't had an opportunity to work alongside of X skill set before. How, what's a substitute for that? Um, so thinking instead of searching for candidates that look like that on paper, it's searching for those people's managers. And like, for example, if I was trying to find a CFO calling you um, rather than calling five C, uh, CFOs, calling you and saying, Who, is there someone that you think this role would be great for? Um, is potentially a better way because yeah. those people have had the years of experience working alongside them. They know their strengths and their flaws. They know which environments they might fit well in. And you can actually substitute some of that learning from experience. Yeah, other, although the one thing that I think is very hard, uh, particularly in recruiting younger people, is you don't know how people are going to behave under intense pressure. Yeah. And because we might create a situation where the pressure is more intense by orders of magnitude than they've ever experienced before. So if you then go to another definition of high performance, it's, and particularly this applies to leaders, is being able to make first-class decisions under intense pressure. Yeah. Um, that's the definition of an SAE soldier. Lives depend on it. They've got to make instantaneous decisions, shoot or not shoot, do or not do, move or not move, that other people's lives depend on it. Yeah. And so their greatest attribute has to be able to make great decisions under intense pressure or under intense stress. Yeah. And... Um, it's easy to talk about that, but it's very, very hard to um, assess how someone's going to behave when it happens. Now, you'll always find me asking questions about it. You know, where was the time, probably in your home life or your private life, where you found yourself under the most intense pressure or stress? Yep. Um, what, what, give me the, a background to the situation and what did you do? Yeah. And how do, you, how do you feel, how good was that decision after, you know, in hindsight and after it. So you'll find my questioning going down those sorts of paths yep. rather than trying to keep it into the work context. Because, so, again, what I'm looking for when I'm interviewing people like this is more about those personal attributes than what's on the CV. And I want the more honest um, assessments or, or beliefs around those things rather than... People more often than not, and I'm sure you've heard this all before, is they're trying to tell you things that they think you want to hear. Yeah. Whereas I'm trying to go one or two layers in the onion below that. Yep. To actually, to actually say so. So I'll include anything in your private life. Could, could be an argument with your partner. Yep. Um, and the most, and particularly, I'm after a recent one, so it's still fresh in your emotions. Yeah, so that you can actually invoke those emotions and actually feel yeah. how you respond. And yeah, no, I. Yeah, I like all of that. I think it's, as you said, it's hard. You often feel like you're being managed. You're doing an interview for somebody, trying to understand whether they'll fit, and you can feel yourself being managed. And it, it almost, as the hirer, turns you off. Like, as in, you're going, like, I can't, if I can't get the answer, the truth, then I, I, I can't assume that anything that you've said is accurate or how you would respond in that circumstance. Uh, More importantly, I I think is that one of the attributes of all great teams is pure honesty with each other. Yeah. Um, About how I'm I'm feeling. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling crap. 
Um, I'm really worried about this or I feel good at it. My gut's telling me this is good. It's, it's having that total honesty in a team. Um, and every now and again when you get it, you feel that and it's so enlightening. If I can't get someone to be that honest in an interview or really peel back a couple of onion layers and tell me uh, what they're feeling and what they're doing, you're going back to this uh, average response. You're going back to this, I'm saying what I think you want to hear yeah. or I'm saying what is in comfort zone, totally average. And, and that's not what I want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in that case, you might as well have just read the CV. Yeah. So if we're talking about now, if you sort of then collate about a little bit about this conversation, about things around honesty, things around tension, around they're all very anti the political correct environment we now live. Yeah. And I've always found, and dare I say it, I'll probably offend some people here, <laughs> but um, it's the dichotomy to what the HR people are telling me I've got to ask and not ask and how specs are written and all that sort of stuff. Um, because what we're not very good at now is really having true, honest, hard conversations. Yeah, I mean, because as you sort of said, just because you can't talk about it in an interview for any one reason or you get told not to, doesn't mean that that situation isn't going to completely arise in day-to-day situations and the person is going to have to be able to deal with those situations. So, yeah, not being able to ask those questions and probe is is really difficult. Um, One of the things you sort of talked about just just before um, was that, you know, 50-50, 60-40 sort of hiring um, external when you don't have that experience. Um, And I don't know whether it's something that you can design out just due to the the fact that you want to keep tension in teams. But has there been any times where you've hired people thinking this person is going to be great, like sure about it, and, and they've not worked out? And then if that's the case... Is there any commonality between the types of people that can get through like that? Uh, this goes back to situational. Yeah. So I've just come out of a situation where um, we had a company that was in um, turnaround consolidation mode. And uh, also it was in consolidation mode. So yeah. it already had the turnaround done, needed to bring a team together, uh, start the growth, putting in the processes, skills, mechanisms to actually start growing the business and was doing a great job. But then all of a sudden the situation changed and uh, some people who know me probably know this situation, but uh, all of a sudden the environment turned from being uh, very supportive, everyone's growing, economy's strong and all that sort of stuff to getting really tough. Huge inflation, huge labour issues, start of COVID, you know, a lot of disruption. And all of a sudden uh, the skill set required to manage was very different yep. and that combined with being put under intense pressure and making some very fundamental mistakes um, and some bordering on dishonest mistakes yeah. um, was and, and dishonest not by being uh, how I should I say deceitful but either not knowing or not knowing the truth or not, yeah. not having the transparency uh, not being open about you know what's really worrying me, uh, sort of conversation, um, uh, you know, didn't work. Yeah, and I think a lot of time it goes goes back to the notion that uh, we're always making mistakes, but it's situational. Yeah. Um, sometimes we make it. You know, we hire someone to do a certain job and they just don't do it. I, to me, that hasn't happened very often. Yeah. But it's always it's happened a lot where you know I've hired someone to do something and they haven't been doing it well, but the situation's just changed. Yeah. And they're the wrong person. Yeah. Um, and that's very tough. And isn't you, you 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 really the best leaders? You don't have a chance, but you've got to act on it. Yeah. And uh, I think that um, going back to one of the first things you sort of said about you know how building teams and then transitioning them um, during the different periods with situation changes. It's not to say that what would happen in that situation is that if you had a team of six or eight, that all six or eight go and a brand new six and eight come in. Um, there are some people that can deal with those situations yeah. and there are others that can't. And that's probably, uh, that's probably I guess, what I was guessing at the start is that it's not something that can be designed out because sometimes you are making a hire going, we'll learn more about this person as time goes on, but I know that they can do this situation really well and that's the situation yep. that we're in um, and that's what we need um, but you don't learn 
whether they can flex into a different another situation until that situation arises. Absolutely, absolutely. And you don't again going back to that same notion, you don't really know how how someone's going to perform under extreme pressure. Yeah. Um, and even individuals don't. And sometimes, you know, some individuals sometimes will do very well, but the same individual in a different set of circumstances and a different pressure won't respond. Yeah. Um, we're human beings after all. We can't be able to do everything. Yeah, and you're right in saying as well that um, intense pressure means different things to different people and different scenarios and um, people that are, you know, exceptional public speakers um, but can't for the life of them deal with a, you know, a, a phone call or something like that. Like there are just those strange triggers which can occur for people that... Um, that, yeah, you just don't know until you face the situation. Correct. And yourself. Yep. Um, is there one, this is, I mean, one of the questions I love to ask, is there one lesson in your career or one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some stage in this? I, I, I go back to uh, what I said earlier. Make money, ability to innovate, hungry. Yeah, okay. You got those three things in place. Uh, you can overcome a lot of obstacles. You're missing one of those three and you struggle in the high performance circles. Is there, a, just on that, is there something that people do to uh, learn those things? Like as in if somebody, for example, great at the other two, doesn't know how to make money, just hasn't been exposed to roles like that, do they go and find a role where they're going to have to learn how to make money or go and study and do an MBA or do what, how to, or, or is it some of those things more innate that you've got it or you don't? I, I th- well, I think there's, there's both sides to the answer. Yeah. I think there is an innate side of it. Yeah. So for example, if I'm employing someone young and I'm testing about uh, ability to make money, I won't be asking uh, uh, questions about their job. Yeah. I'll be asking questions about, did you have a, a job as a kid? Yeah. Um, what was that job? Um, and I'd be looking like for an answer that says, well, I started off with a paper round yeah, and I found I couldn't make enough money. So I got two paper rounds and I subcontracted one out to my mate. Yeah. Um, and it's that sort of thing. Or, you know, fundraising down at the footy club. Yeah. And uh, I came up with this idea of how we would actually get some of the local businesses to do it. And you go, oh, wow, that's, that's an example of that innovative thinking. Yeah. So... I'll argue if it's in your job life, it'll be in your private life as well. Yep. So I go searching for it um, in, in those sorts of things. So I think there is an innate bit of it. But then I also like the notion of apprenticeship. And I, I once had a great boss and he said to me, uh, and I was in public company at the time and I was sort of in my mid-30s. And it was about that time that I decided that I'd like to have a crack at being a public company CEO. Yep. And uh, that person said to me, it was actually Graham Cray, uh, said to me, well... If that's what you want to be, um, you, I, I, you need to. I, I like the word apprenticeship. Yeah. You need to go and find someone you reckon was probably one of the best money makers around. Yeah. And go and learn and watch how they do it. Yeah. And I then that that actually what led me to Vizzy and then an opportunity came to work for Dick Pratt. Yeah. And, and Rafa Gaminda, and and the Pratt family, and I took it with open arms because they were probably some of the best money makers um, uh, of that generation. Yeah. And what I learned in the five years with them was completely, was astounding. Yeah. Um, and and so you can't invent everything yourself. If you want to get really good at something, find someone that's really good at it and go and learn from them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of dealing with it. As you sort of said, it's not that you necessarily have to go and learn it in a book. Um, that notion of apprenticeship actually going and seeing others do it and then trying to learn from their experience and apply it yourself. Yeah, and I think the, I think the, the other side to that question too is, which you just touched on, is that the very best leaders have constant learning yep. uh, and they're learning all the time. And learning is the fundamental to all change because if I learn something today, it will change me and change the decision I make tomorrow because I'm looking at it from a different belief set. Yep. Um, and so if I'm learning rapidly, then probably the way I make decisions and the decisions I make um, will also change rapidly. Um, and that very fast evolution, again, uh, around fast evolution, fast learning, is actually what makes you accelerate um, your own high performance. Yeah, and you can't... Um, 
I mean, again, this is it's sort of this always this balance between innate uh, natural people that are naturally strong learners and they just pick up everything that's put in front of them. Um, you can't guarantee that that's going to be there all the time. You have to, I think, go looking for learning. Like as in if you're not someone that feels like you're learning much in your job, it's going and picking up some books, listening to a new, maybe this um, podcast, but you doing different things so that you can apply different contexts and actually go, if this person was doing what I was doing, what, how would they have done it? And, and see, like, as you can't, unless you've actually seen other experiences and you can't do that unless you've actually lived them, then yeah. Well, the other thing was, so for example, we go back to recruiting and interview style. Yeah. I'll always ask somebody in interview at some point, what did you learn yesterday? Yeah. You'd be surprised how many blank faces I get. Uh, it doesn't surprise question. me, yeah. <laughs> and, but if you're focused on learning, um, and learning for improvement and learning because of dissatisfaction, you find that it's on the front of your mind all the time. Yeah. And so if I ask somebody that is, you know, the sort of person I want, uh, I'll say, what did you learn yesterday? And they'll go, bang, you know, yeah. one sentence. I learned this. Oh, okay, and it's interesting because that then leads to a whole lot of other questions and a conversation. Yeah. But if the answer is, oh, I don't know, or I've got to think about it, then I'll argue that that person is not a, a, a person that's focused on self-learning. Are you, are you someone that takes um, notes or anything like that just about your experiences or is it more just you see it as it comes and... I probably should. Um, I think that's probably one of my weaknesses. Okay. I don't never take notes. Yeah. I never write letters. I never write emails. I never... Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a verbal communicator yeah uh, or verbal and face-to-face communicator yeah uh, is my leadership style it's been interesting probably I haven't written a letter, written a letter myself for probably 20 years yeah um, I don't think I apart from sort of uh, I've never constructed a communication email yeah for 20 odd years yeah um, I was, I was, I mean, I was just interested because, yeah, and I think it's, um, it goes down to the different ways in which different people communicate and learn as well, because, um, I'm the same, um, which is that if I had to read and write as my major methods of learning, which was what you do at university, uh, I would struggle. Um, and I did, um, like I can do all the courses and whatnot, but it, it was not my preferred style. Whereas... If I listen to an audio book or a podcast, I can almost remember verbatim what was said and recall that in my mind. Reading the same things, not going to happen in that. It just yeah. doesn't absorb in the same way. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the, the final thing um, which I like to finish on is just a tangible takeaway. Um, so this is something that people could do immediately after listening the next time they get an opportunity um, related to hiring in any way, either as a candidate um, looking for a new job themselves or you're someone going in to hire? What's one thing that someone could do differently? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, I, I think we've covered a lot of that uh, today and it depends on what you're looking for. Yep. Um, and I think, I think there are two things. If you feel that you're a track record and you're really good at doing this and you're getting what you want, whether it be average or whatever, keep doing the same thing. The question is whether you really want more. Yeah. And if you want more out of people... It goes back to that notion of dissatisfaction. If you want more, you need to be dissatisfied. If you're dissatisfied with the process you've got, the process you've been using around recruiting people, then you've got to change it. And I like to think that out of this podcast, we might have sparked a few new ideas about what you would do in terms of -of out-of-the-box questions, out-of-the-box way of uh, trying to peel back the onion in a person um, uh, you know, and and I think if you start doing that, you'll learn things about people that would never have come out if you'd stuck to the tried and true and traditional um, validate the CV yeah. methodology. Yeah, no, I like that. I think um, one of the takeaways for me um, that I'll be able to apply in my next interview with somebody is asking the question um, about, you know, what, how, how do you deal with difficult people um, and, and being able to frame that in the context of like give me a it could be a personal it can be anything just give me an example of, of how you deal with it recent would be better um, and getting them to actually dive straight into that because I think that 
it's something that I don't do all the time and I'm sure it's something that a lot of people don't do as you said validate the CV and then make sure that that seems safe but actually digging and peeling back that layer I think just with that one question I could start doing that more oh absolutely well there's a better way of actually doing it yeah um, it's actually asking the question when was the last time you had an argument with your partner cool um, we've all had arguments with yeah, our partner. yeah. <laughs> usually it's very fresh and it's very emotive and it's real yeah um, and it also goes to the notion what you're looking for the first the first part of managing difficult people is appreciative inquiry and that's being out the ability to ask questions to understand better yeah um, and the notion of appreciative inquiry is that we disagree so we agree we disagree we're both bright people so therefore one of us is or we're making different assumptions to get to different spots yeah so I want to know what you're assuming and what you believe is why you're making that decision yeah because if by asking you that question um, you're going to say something that's going to challenge my belief and if we both find the belief that is the fundamental root cause to that disagreement and we find somewhere in the middle or something different that we both agree we both change we both learn yep no that's great and, and i think you could do the, the same thing with um friendship groups as well as yep. in like as in partner um your best friends when was the last time you had an argument because i know that a lot of the people that i surround myself are people that challenge me um make me better um and i would have lots of examples of us being frustrated with one another um lovingly frustrated of course um so no that's great uh jonathan thanks again um really appreciate your time and um all the best in your upcoming trip thanks john my pleasure thanks for listening to the podcast Uh, this and every episode is going to be brought to you by rosewood partners which is the uh, recruitment agency that i founded based on the idea that recruitment agencies and recruitment in general should be done differently Uh, If you'd like to learn any more about Rosewood Partners, you can find us at rosewoodpartners.co. I'll include in the show notes a link to my email address, the website, and my LinkedIn page if you'd like to connect with me. Have a great day, and thanks again for listening.